The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Thanks for stopping. Glad you guys stopped. I wasn't getting any rides. My name's Raphael. Rides? He doesn't know. Nerve agent? No. It was something bigger. It was God. I think starting over. How come I survived? I don't know. Are you allergic to ragweed? No. Do you take zinc? Yeah. There's a reason for everything. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, May the 21st, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion. It's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be It's possible that something as simple as zinc could play a significant part in completely ending the SARS-CoV-2 viral pandemic, but don't you dare mention that to most government and health officials. We'll explain why right after this quick reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and our archive broadcasts. And as always, consider offering your financial support to our efforts. Everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of the 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials, written by one of our regular guests, Dave Plum. Got this from my London Free Press and National Post. On May 14th, the headline reads, This virus may never go away, the World Health Organization says. Written by Emma Farge and Michael Shields, and I quote, The coronavirus could become endemic like HIV, the World Health Organization said, warning against any attempt to predict how long it would keep circulating and calling for a massive effort to counter it. It's important to put this on the table. This virus may become just another endemic virus in our communities, and this virus may never go away, who emergencies expert Mike Ryan told an online briefing. I think it is important we are realistic, and I don't think anyone can predict when this disease will disappear, he added. I think there are no promises in this, and there are no dates. This disease may settle into a long problem, or it may not be. However, he said the world had some control over how it coped with the disease, although this would take a massive effort, even if a vaccine was found, a prospect he described as a massive moonshot, quote-unquote. Who Director General Tedros Adhansom Ghebreyesus added, The trajectory is in our hands, and it's everybody's business, and we should all contribute to stop this pandemic. Ryan said very significant control of the virus was required in order to lower the assessment of risk, which he said remained high at the national, regional, and global levels. We need to get into the mindset that's going to take some time to come out of this pandemic, who epidemiologist Maria Van Kerkhove told the briefing, end quote. 
Now, what kind of garbage was that? We should all contribute to stop this pandemic. This, from a so-called health organization? That's like saying we should all contribute to stopping cancer in old age. The fact of the virus's permanence was self-evident. It was a self-evident reality from day one. But the main message I'm getting here from the World Health Organization is that they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about or what to expect. But they do have an agenda. Quote, very significant control, end quote, of the virus is required. We need to get into the mindset that it's going to take some time to come out of this pandemic. Well, that's an explicit agenda of extending the economic shutdown and keeping us under the cloak of a police state for as long as they can get away with it. And I think by now we should realize that the lies, information, and constant contradictions coming out of the WHO are what is really pandemic. And don't kid yourself for a minute. The World Health Organization is not a health organization. It is a political organization, and as such operates on political principles and on political science. Now, as we heard on the show last week, global vaccine advocate and a major financial contributor to WHO, Bill Gates, insisted that, quote, normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated the entire global population, end quote. Well, if so, then normalcy will never return, and not normal will be the permanent condition under which we'll be forced to live. Despite political promises that a vaccine to combat SARS-CoV-2 will eventually be developed, there's a growing body of expertise warning that this goal may never be reached. And among them, of course, was Dr. Judy Mikovits, who works in the field of developing immune therapies. And as we heard on last week's show, who made it clear that, quote, there is no vaccine currently on the schedule for any RNA virus that works, end quote. For expressing these and other opinions that do not reflect the official narrative on the pandemic shutdown, many have found their voices being suppressed on social media. For example, YouTube recently removed the video featuring California doctors Erickson and Masihi from its platform, and then later removed the video featuring Dr. Judy Mikovits. Removed without prior notice or explanation on the grounds of violating YouTube's community guidelines, all of these doctors were arguing in favor of ending the shutdown and of using effective COVID-19 treatments like hydroxychloroquine as an effective alternative to vaccine treatments. They also did not see the necessity of physical distancing or of wearing masks. Now, understandably, this does not sit well for those in the business of producing and selling vaccines or of enforcing shutdowns. In the wake of accumulating evidence, both statistical and medical, this necessity of developing a vaccine narrative is beginning to look like fake news to me, aimed at promoting an agenda that has little to do with flattening curves or saving lives. We passed that line a long time ago. Given that those who promote this narrative are so opposed to alternative COVID-19 treatments, I don't think you can any longer possibly attach any health concerns to their agenda. They don't care about health. Health is not on their agenda. If it were, these alternate treatments would be at the top of their priority list. Period. You know, I've reached a point now, ladies and gentlemen, where I'm beginning to think that our politicians and our healthcare officials should be charged with malpractice. Medical malpractice for the latter and political malpractice for the former. The consistently wrong advice and wrong approach to the SARS-CoV-2 virus taken by the World Health Organization needs to be called to account. 
Their advice is quite literally the opposite of that given by people who apparently do know what they're talking about when it comes to viruses and to this pandemic in particular. And now that WHO has admitted that this is the supposed new normal with regard to the virus itself, they're arguing that the political shutdown itself should be considered the new normal. This is the very suspicion I expressed from the first day we began discussing the COVID-19 pandemic on this show. We're now in the midst of a political pandemic and not a health pandemic, which is perhaps what it has been from the very beginning. Now, you've already heard the voices of California doctors Erickson and Masihi and that of Dr. Judy Mikovits on recently broadcast episodes of our show. All of them are knowledgeable in their own fields of expertise and all agreed that this shutdown has not been necessary for a long time now and that social distancing and wearing masks also carry great risks with respect to the coronavirus. Now, today we're going to hear from yet another authoritative voice on the subject, thanks to listener Paul B. having brought this one to my attention. And I don't know how long it'll take before Dave Collins' interview with Professor Dolores Cahill on his May 11th edition of Computing Forever actually gets taken down from some social media platform. Both the interviewer, Dave Cullen, and his guest, Dolores Cahill, live in Ireland, which is also where Cullen's Computing Forever show originates. So their primary points of reference with regard to the shutdown relate to Ireland. But as you'll hear, things are no different there than they are in Canada, Australia, the United States, or Europe, or probably anywhere else. Show host Dave Cullen was emphatically encouraging his viewers to share his interview with Cahill, download it, copy it, post it to other sites, and otherwise get the word out as quickly as possible. So Dave, in that regard, I'll be more than happy to help. And just as what we heard from the previous doctors mentioned, what we are about to hear is quite chilling, particularly if you contrast it to what organizations like The Who are saying. I'm joined by someone who I've wanted to speak to for quite some time. It's Dolores Cahill, and her science background, her degree is in uh, molecular genetics, and her PhD is in immunology. Dolores, I, I want to start off, if we can, if you can give a little bit of background um, for yourself and your credentials and what you're about, for people who don't know. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself first, Dolores. Yeah, so my degree is in molecular genetics and my PhD is in immunology where I was using antibodies and making libraries to try and improve the outcomes in cancer. So targeting using antibodies, drugs to tumors like brain tumors. And then I worked for two years in Munich and then I spent eight years in the Max Planck Institute for molecular genetics in Berlin. So for 20 years, I have been trying with lots of people worldwide to have validation results and to check data and specifically antibodies and diagnostic tests and antibodies that are used in pathology labs and diagnostic labs to verify that what the manufacturers and the researchers are saying are actually true. So because my uh, clones and libraries were distributed worldwide, all of my research was validated, but that does not happen very often. So because of my involvement in that, I then got involved a lot in research integrity and um, assisting funding agencies around issues of scientific integrity. At what point, Dolores, did something, did a bell go off or something, and then you realized there's something smells bad about this situation, something's not quite right, that, that this is not how science is done. What, what, what tips you off that there's, this is something to look into to verify the, the data? 
So I suppose I would have been aware of this in early February. So because I would be networked with a lot of people who were involved in safe vaccines and safe adjuvants and people who had previously worked with SARS and other viruses. Um, and I have been working with a doctor who is advising the White House, particularly on protocols for prevention and treatment such as hydroxychloroquine. So he started, I had met him in America and he was texting me from February about the issues of this virus and also around hydroxychloroquine in, in around mid-February. Right. So now I, I was hope would have, you know, it's been very frustrating for me to not, we'll say, come out and give this kind of interview previously. So I suppose there's two things, two major things I want to say to people is that, first of all, there should be a lot of hope that this virus is not as dangerous as it has been uh, shown to be. And also there's um, like major issues like the media are reporting the number of cases when actually someone who has had the virus, like me, I had this virus in January and February, your immune system clears it after 10 days and then you are immune for life. So you're not a case, you are immune for life. Yeah, and so I, that is a very important because the way it's been done in the media is as if a case is something dangerous. So if you're immune for life, you should be able to function in the world. And then the second thing is we can see that in Ireland, as in globally, half of the people who die are over 80. And that we'll say children and anyone under 50, unless they have chronic conditions like cystic fibrosis, they will have no issue. So what I am saying is there is no need for the lockdown. The lockdown in Ireland is unnecessary. We should open the country within the next week or 10 days. And I would be happy to take responsibility for those decisions and to be held to account. So I suppose what people should be aware of is that there are, first of all, in all of our bodies, there are hundreds of thousands of different viruses in our bodies. And it's important that the, uh, it, for our natural microbiome that we actually come in contact with bacteria and viruses. And so this just shows that every year, we'll say in the Northern Hemisphere, in the winter time, there is a flu season. And the CDC are just showing that this year uh, from, uh, we'll say week 48 in December of 2019 to the beginning of uh, April or the middle of April, the 12th of April, there were three circulating viruses globally. And the first one was influenza B the second one was influenza A, and the third one was this COVID-19 virus. And that generally, you know, viruses circulate the globe within about three or four weeks. And so we've already had three viruses circulating, and COVID-19, uh, this is data from America, was circulating, had had its peak on the 22nd of March. And that means that people were probably at peak infection 10 days before, so the 12th of March, and then the population in America cleared the virus, most of them, uh, you know, within 10 days, and then the virus is gone. And so these results were presented on the 17th of April and from the 12th of April. So there is absolutely no need for lockdown. But what's really shocking and what I want to publicize is it's well known in immunology, you can take preventative measures to boost your own immune system, 
so that even if you were a little bit malnourished or run down, that if you take vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc, your immune system will be boosted and also if you eat new, uh, good nutrition, so that if you come across the virus, you're, you're, you will get it, you will have hardly any symptoms, you will clear the virus and you will actually contribute to the immune people. So if you were to say to quarantine people for just in their homes, uh, elderly people for a few weeks, then the other 90% uh, of the population would come across the virus. About 80 or 90% of people, if they protect their immune systems, will not have any symptoms. They won't even know they have it. And then the virus will not circulate anymore. So that when the elderly, which could have been the end of April, come out of the quarantine, the virus is actually stopped in its tracks, right? So you can see that when influenza B had cleared the globe from that graph, it's not there anymore. And the reason is that people, the immune system clears this virus, it's gone. And people develop immunity. And it turns out as well, which is very significant, is the first um, so this is the severe acute respiratory disease, you know, was SARS-CoV-1 was in 2003. And this is now called, the other name is SARS-CoV-2. So in 2003, that circulated the globe. And they initially started to have a bit of a scare, but the World Health Organization has said that globally, the number of deaths from the first SARS in 2003 globally was 770 deaths. 770 in the world. But what that means, and there has been two more circulating since 2003, and when I looked into it, between 7% and 15% of the global population already had antibodies to these viruses. So, so that means what Ireland, RTE, and people are calling the number of cases, that even before this COVID-19 came, if you tested people for antibodies, you know, between 7 and 15% of the Irish population would have had antibodies. So in our case, you would have 400,000 people. So what they're reporting is the number of cases of like 400,000 trying to scare people. They're actually people who developed immunity to the last SARS virus, and they would have immunity now. And also for, we'll say, the other 90%, a lot of people might have low level of antibodies, and it's also understood that some blood groups mightn't actually have antibodies in their serum, but actually they don't, the virus doesn't get into their cells, so they haven't developed immune response, but when they see COVID again, they are some of the people that have no symptoms because they don't have the receptor for the virus. But Dolores, so this, that, is, uh, yeah. this is the unbelievably, it's making me kind of angry here because I, I've known this and you've, but you've unpacked it in this scientific way that goes beyond far more than my layman understanding. But it's just so frustrating because it's so unbelievably anti-scientific, anti-nature, I would say. We're being told effectively we've been living in a way that is effectively switching off nature's natural cure as, as doc, Dr. Marcus de Bruyne was talking about it which is exactly. in the absence of a vaccine or of some sort of treatment and we do have treatments now but in the absence of one nature has this wonderful thing called herd immunity and it's been shut off this is what Dr. Erickson talked about in his briefing which has been deleted it's still gone viral they've tried to shut these things down They're not, it's not working it's on Bitchute and other places so I suppose the thing is uh, if you look, if everybody looks at these viruses, you see influenza B, it circulates the globe, right? So the idea that governments can come 
and clamp down on something that's come and gone within, like essentially the peak could be about three weeks. And because we have uh, plane travel now, and because they are highly infectious, but actually what that's doing is actually boosting the immune system. So this entire number of cases and this hysteria is entirely wrong, but also as they discussed, that you, you actually are infectious for about 10 days, mm. but people will have symptoms. So the way what we should have done is quarantined uh, people who have underlying conditions like cystic fibrosis, also people over with say 75, and then told them to build up their immune system in the few weeks by taking vitamin C, D and zinc, and then they could have actually engaged in society and no one would have actually been sick. So that's the thing, there is actually a preventative that no one would have died at all, and also, as we know, and I have a few slides on hydroxychloroquine, that that was shown hydroxychloroquine by uh, doctors worldwide to be the most efficient treatment uh, for the coronavirus. And I was working with this uh, doctor who was advising the White House, who was involved in writing protocols for countries like India. So what they did was they gave a prophylactic, so the half-life of hydroxychloroquine is three weeks. So you could just give one hydroxychloroquine tablet and they cost 10 cent and it has been used for 60 years for malaria and for 20 years for lupus and arthritis and it's known to be helpful in HIV AIDS virus. So you could only give your first line workers or over 80 one hydroxychloroquine tablet and because it takes three weeks to six weeks they could have taken two tablets and they would have no symptoms and there would be no deaths. So if our health agencies and our governments and the media were working for society, they would be telling them, okay, there's a virus coming. If you, you know, have any issues, boost up on vitamin D, C, and zinc, uh, and also then to have hydroxychloroquine on standby. There's been papers published by the U.S. Army that where they have certain uh, flu vaccines in, in 2017 and 2018 given to soldiers, that when they naturally become across a coronavirus, they have a, a cytokine storm and are severely sick. So it turns out in the vaccines that were given in Wuhan and in Italy, in the Lombardy region, were these vaccines that have been grown on dog tissue and dog tissues are known to have coronaviruses. So I think what's important for people to say is that we've had this SARS outbreak, you know, in 2003, and there is no vaccine for the coronavirus, which is similar to this one in 17 years. It's called viral interference. And the US Army has reported papers that this, when they have put in um, test vaccines to soldiers, that the same cytokine storm and severe reaction has happened. Yet another testimony of the type that seems to be completely ignored and pushed aside by the establishment medical bureaucrats, politicians, and mainstream media. Consider the ramifications and implications of what Professor Cahill has just said here. And rest assured that what you're hearing on our show today is just a small portion of the entire original interview by Dave Cullen. But think about it. Not one person should have died from this coronavirus. And just as we heard from Judy Mikovits, she attributed the outbreak in Italy to the fact that they administered a vaccine to many of the people there and that this was also the case in Wuhan, China. And apparently what happened in each of those locations also coincided with U.S. Army flu vaccine experiments done in 2017 and 2018. 
And when Cahill states that some people never get the virus because they don't have the receptor for it, well, gee, consider the situation that those people could find themselves in, in a world where constant testing against a virus that they can never even catch once will cause for them. They're going to be in a terrible situation. They're immune to it already. How do you prove that? Especially if you're not carrying an antibody. So you're always going to be one of those people who's a potential, even though you'll never get it. Unless they have to start doing a whole other series of tests, checking for people who don't have the receptor, you know? You can see where all this nonsense is going. From the National Post on May 13th, headline reads, Reopening Early Risks Suffering and Death. Fauci Warning Counters Calls by the White House, written by Ben Riley Smith. Quote, Anthony Fauci, America's top infectious disease expert, warned that states could trigger more suffering and death if they reopen sooner than advised by the nationwide coronavirus guidance. Speaking before a Senate committee, Fauci said moving too quickly to loosen restrictions could have really serious consequences. Fauci expressed concern that little spikes in cases could then turn into outbreaks, undercutting efforts to tackle the pandemic and potentially hurting the economic recovery. The warning, both in its tone and emphasis, contrasted with Donald Trump's repeated calls for states to reopen as soon as possible. He said it was entirely conceivable and possible a second wave of cases will emerge this autumn, but he stressed that with more testing, contact tracing, and protective equipment, it would hopefully be no worse than the first. Fauci repeatedly stressed the importance of following the guidelines, warning that failure to do so could create a new uptick in cases in those areas. I feel if that occurs, there is a real risk that you will trigger an outbreak that you may not be able to control, Fauci said, end quote. And blah, blah, blah. We just keep hearing that maybe thing all over again. Fauci's also the same guy that said the effectiveness of treatments like hydroxychloroquine was only anecdotal. By the way, that's an anecdote that has now been repeated thousands upon thousands of times, yet it still doesn't even qualify as a statistic worthy of citing. Never mind proving it in a lab, which is what they want to do. Again, consider the contrast between what America's Fauci and Canada's Theresa Tam are saying and what all of the virologists and other frontline doctors are saying about the virus, including my own personal contacts and people I know. It's like night and day. And they can't both be right. And so far, Fauci and Tam and their gang, they've been wrong repeatedly. So whose side do you suppose I'm going to pick in this? And as I said from the very first day I began talking about this issue, Fauci and the gang have attached this I-win-you-lose proposition on their advice, haven't they? The fact that their predictions have so far not panned out is attributed to their expertise and to our social distancing, neither of which appears to be the case. But they get to take credit for something they may have had nothing to do with other than to make it worse. And we have no way of holding them accountable under that kind of logic. Seems to me it's what the frontline doctors and people like Dolores Cahill are saying that seems to coincide with the data and the observable facts. And to say a second wave is entirely conceivable and possible is the same as saying nothing. It's also conceivable and possible that there will be no second wave. You know, it's also conceivable and possible that everything we've been told by Fauci and his team of experts is part of a conspiracy plot. <laughs> right? But these are all conceivables and possibilities. 
But are these conceivables and possibilities all that's needed to destroy an economy and the millions of lives it's comprised of? Remember, the economy is not a mere abstraction that deals with economic transactions. It is composed of people. It is also conceivable and possible, you know, that a meteor will strike the Earth. So does that warrant our taking immediate emergency measures? I currently trust absolutely nothing coming out of the mouths of Fauci or Tan. Medically factual or not, it's all BS when it comes to the politics of the situation. But here's the bottom line at this point in the debate. In one corner of the ring, we have the official medical establishment saying not to end the lockdown, but with absolutely no concept of when or if ever a second wave of coronavirus will occur, while in the other corner of the ring, a growing list of frontline and experienced medical professionals shouting out loud and clear that the lockdown should be ended, social distancing and all. The two views could not be more diametrically opposed. One side is putting all of its eggs in the vaccine basket, even though it now admits a vaccine's unlikely, which is completely illogical and irrational. And the other side says skip the vaccine route. There is no effective vaccine for coronavirus, which we now know to be factual, and use other proven treatments. Well, hello. And that's where I clearly have to part ways with the officials on this one. Their resistance to the use of these other treatments, along with their failure to prescribe what has apparently long been known to be effective in the treatment of all kinds of coronaviruses for many years now, leads me once again to suggest that we are witnessing a case of medical malpractice and fraud on a scale never before seen. I just can't help coming to that conclusion. It's really important that there isn't a vaccine, right, in 17 years for the coronavirus. And obviously they were starting to hype it in 2003 as if this was going to be another, you know, major issue, which it wasn't. And they've been looking for these kind of vaccines. And there isn't one on the vaccine schedule in America. They have 100, 100 vaccines. There isn't one vaccine to this type of virus. So there's been lots of clinical trials about the benefits of vitamin D, C and zinc in combination. And also previously and now, hydroxychloroquine with the AZT antibiotic is one of the treasured drugs, we'll say, globally because it's so safe and used widely. So what I would be calling for for the EU and for Ireland is that there is no need for a drug. So hydroxychloroquine is a treatment. It's available. It's really cheap. So any drug that is produced has to be compared to hydroxychloroquine for its safety, for its, it is really safe and effective because it turns out from my doctor colleague in America that even people who have been severely affected and were you know in ICU after one to two tablets of 200 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine they were recovered and able to walk out and so the total dose they were given is three tablets over three days or five tablets with the AZT and they completely recovered and vitamin C, high-dose vitamin C, is also shown to recover people. And it was given to one of the doctors in ICU, and he completely recovered. So I think uh, there is no need for uh, any drugs to be developed. And if they are, they have to be compared to hydroxychloroquine. And there is no need for a vaccine. Because the thing is, each of these viruses circulate the globe because they are mutated and slightly different. Mm. So that the chase-up time for vaccines can be a year or so. And a lot of them are not tested against randomized placebo controls. So actually, they should not be called safe because they're not safety tested. So there is really uh, no need for this kind of hype. There is absolutely no need for the lockdown. And if we should be reopening the country within a week 
And in that week, first of all, young people under, we'll say 50 or people under 50, should just be mingling now, ready to go back to work in a week. Do you mean no social distancing, just back to normal, none of this? Yeah, there's absolutely no need. I would challenge anyone to say there is no need for social distancing. There are only three organisms that are transmitted uh, in that way, and it's uh, TB and smallpox um, and Ebola. So this one is not, this one is transmitted if a droplet is on a door handle, but absolutely. And the other thing is that masks, if people actually have the symptoms, they should wear a mask. But if you're like me, you had it, there is no need to wear a mask. But what a mask does, it's entirely the wrong thing. It actually reduces the oxygen supply to you. So it actually, everybody has latent viruses within their body. And because you're under oxygen stress, it allows viruses that were latent because you're under stress it decreases your immune system so there is no need for wearing masks only if you have symptoms and if you have symptoms you should just stay at home for the week and then you will be immune but how you stop a virus is that you get a percentage of the population to become immune and then there's like enough people that the virus circulation stops and people who are over 80 or elderly should be taking their vitamins they could have GPs could stock up on hydroxychloroquine and then over the next three or four weeks the people that have underlying conditions can mingle there is Ireland should be saying we're open for business from the first of June we should open our hotels and our restaurants there is absolutely no requirement for social distancing and if you boost your immune system there will be no second spike so I saw some newspaper article now I didn't read the research but on average apparently in the United Kingdom 30,000 people were diagnosed with cancer and in the equivalent month, only 5,000 people were diagnosed with cancer, right? So it means for conditions like brain tumors or ovarian cancer or melanoma, there will be a spike in the death rate because of this misdiagnosis. And I am fearful that then they will attribute that to the second spike, right? And to try and fear monger again. So we need to, and also if people are not informed how they protect their immune system now with vitamins and have hydroxychloroquine at the ready, it's almost like they want to have a high increase in death so that they can retrospectively justify the lockdown so that they can retrospectively justify these curtailments in our freedoms. So, I mean, what, what we're looking at here, from what I can see, it has been the greatest con in, in the history of time. This is not a, a medical crisis that I can see. This is a political crisis. This is a crisis for humanity to be free, um, regardless exactly. of what people believe politically. Yeah. But also viruses circulate, you know, all the time. There are, you know, hundreds of thousands of viruses in each of us so that we cannot allow a system where the governments and the healthcare system and the media pretend that we have to do any of these things about passport or immunity or whatever. You know, if you're under like 70 or 65 and you've no underlying conditions, this is all a hoax and we have to call it out. And the reason why it's a hoax, it's not that we're not worried about people dying, that if you boost your immune system with vitamins and zinc, you can clear the virus. There is a very effective treatment, hydroxychloroquine, and people under 70 who are healthy will be naturally immune anyway, like a flu. So there is actually no section of the population, if they're not protected and given the treatment and boost their immune system, that actually need to be indoors. And we need to call out the police, we need to call out the journalists, the media, RTE. They are not serving the Irish people.
What do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, so listen. So listen. If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs. What are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get sick, you're going to die, and you're going to deserve it because you're f***ing weak and you got a f***ing weak immune system. Now, You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. From the National Post on May 16th, written by Jesse Snyder, the headline, Let Her Questions Continuing Lockdown, and I quote, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been shifting the goalposts in justifying the lockdowns over COVID-19 while portraying as selfish any hopes to reopen an increasingly damaged economy a coalition of health experts and business executives say. The McDonnell laurier Institute released a letter dated May 14th and co-signed by several business and health leaders, which said, The Liberal government has presented social distancing measures as a stark choice, either selflessly shut down the economy to save lives or selfishly worry about the economy and condemn thousands to a vicious illness. But that approach oversimplifies the decision facing governments and is being pursued at an almost incalculably large cost to the well-being of Canadians, according to the letter. Provincial governments are responsible for lifting economic restrictions, which were enforced under provincial emergency orders. But in an interview, Brian Lee Crowley, managing editor of the McDonald laurier Institute, said the tone in Ottawa has been conflicting with its provincial counterparts, which threatens to slow any efforts to return the economy to full capacity. What's happening now is they're convincing people to continue being afraid when what we need is a message of reassurance and confidence from government, he said. They're contributing to an atmosphere of fear and uncertainty that is completely unhelpful as we try to move toward a more measured response to the virus. Crowley and others stress, it is important not to understate the real health risks from the pandemic, end quote. Well, at this point in the game, I think it's more important not to overstate the health risks from the pandemic. Missing from the considerations of the McDonnell laurier Institute and the concerned business leaders is the fact of the readily available treatments that make the real health risks from the pandemic almost negligible. But you know, the fact that so many people feel offended or insulted when someone portrays them as being selfish, that's a tragedy. It's no coincidence that charges of selfishness are always being made by altruists and that they're being made here. But who's the one really being selfish? You know, Oscar Wilde had a great quote. Selfishness is not living your life as you wish. It is asking others to live their lives as you wish. And when philosopher-novelist Ayn Rand published her book, The Virtue of Selfishness, it was never her intention to deny that the kind of selfishness we commonly associate with evil does not exist. But to clarify that, and I quote here, the meaning ascribed in popular usage to the word selfishness is not merely wrong, it represents a devastating intellectual package deal, which is responsible more than any other single factor for the arrested moral development of mankind. Wow. In popular usage, the word selfishness is a synonym of evil. 
Yet the exact meaning and dictionary definition of the word selfishness is concern with one's own interests. This concept does not include a moral evaluation. The ethics of altruism has forced men to accept two inhuman tenets. One, that any concern with your own self-interests is evil, regardless of what these interests might be. And two, that the collective's activities are in fact to one's own interest, which altruism enjoins man to renounce for the sake of his neighbors. Altruism declares that any action taken for the benefit of others is good, and any action taken for one's own benefit is evil. Thus, the beneficiary of an action is the only criterion of moral value, and so long as that beneficiary is anybody other than oneself, anything goes. End quote. Now, does that sound familiar? I have yet to see, hear, or read a better description of the COVID-19 shutdown as it is being enforced by today's politicians. Ontario Premier Doug Ford is also a premier example of altruism in action. You hear him talking, you know, everything's on the table. We're here to save lives. No price is too great if we can save the life of a loved one. And on and on and on. Classic altruism in action. And it's the only thing that makes possible the current state of affairs with regard to this shutdown. This is no longer about a coronavirus. Stop being that a long time ago. This is about a moral implosion and collapse. You know, remarkably in the same book, The Virtue of Selfishness, Rand published an essay, and get this, called The Ethics of Emergencies, from which I shall draw two paragraphs, the very two paragraphs that business leaders and those who want to end the shutdown should be using to explain why their position is the correct one. Quote, In normal conditions of existence, man has to choose his goals, project them in time, pursue them, and achieve them by his own effort. He cannot do it if his goals are at the mercy and must be sacrificed to any misfortune happening to others. He cannot live his life by the guidance of rules applicable only to conditions under which human survival is impossible. This is exactly where we are right now, folks. And then there's this. The moral purpose of a man's life is the achievement of his own happiness. This does not mean that he's indifferent to all men, that human life is of no value to him, and that he has no reason to help others in an emergency. But it does mean that he does not subordinate his life to the welfare of others, and that he does not sacrifice himself to their needs, that the relief of their suffering is not his primary concern, and that any help he gives is an exception, not a rule, an act of generosity, not a moral duty, that it is marginal and incidental, as disasters are marginal and incidental in the course of human existence, and that values, not disasters, are the goal and the first concern and mode of power of his life, end quote. Boy, do more people ever need to grasp that. Now on the side of our upcoming bumper break, Glenn Beck from his own May 14th podcast. And on the return side, YouTuber Matt Christensen asking the question that's really at the heart of this entire shutdown. There's some really interesting things happening uh, in Wisconsin. The Supreme Court just overturned their stay-at-home order uh, saying that they don't have a right to do that. Uh, and it, the state's on fire now because, strangely, it, what's weird is anybody notice this? Democrats are all for shutting things down for as long as possible, and Republicans are all for opening things up. When did this become, a, how did this become a partisan issue? 
Can we just engage our own brains? Is there really no one on either side that it wants to go the other direction? That's just bizarre to me. This is insane. When did we decide this? Who are these people? That we said we were going to flatten the curve. The idea was to make sure that our hospitals and our doctors and our nurses weren't overwhelmed. It was not to make sure no one got sick. I don't know if you know this, but there is no natural right not to get sick. Animals get sick and die. Humans get sick and die. It's not a pleasant thing. It makes me cry every time, you know, uh, a, a Disney animal dies in a movie. It makes me cry. But it's natural. We don't have a natural right not to get sick. We have a responsibility to do everything we can to not spread a, a disease, but we don't have a cure for cancer. We don't have a cure for the common cold. We don't have a cure for the flu. We don't have a cure for AIDS. What do you mean? Now we have to wait until we have a cure or a vaccine? That's insane. It's a virus. <sighs> When did this become so dangerous that none of us could be outside? Los Angeles. Los Angeles has now said that they are going to have the stay-at-home orders continuing until August. Until August. And as if that's not enough, the mayor of Los Angeles said the city... Uh, has never been fully closed, but will never be completely opened until there is a cure for COVID-19. Ja wohl mein Führer. See, America, this is what you forget. You have the ultimate power. You didn't elect these offices to be able to make laws. These are not laws. Laws have to be passed. And they have to be passed with the people's consent. These are not laws. We're not moving beyond COVID-19. We're learning to live with it, said the mayor of Los Angeles. It's important not to overreact. Really? You don't think closing Los Angeles until August is... You don't think that's overreacting? You don't think saying we'll never be completely opened until there's a cure for COVID-19 is not overreacting? Are you kidding me? Now, the WHO official has finally come out and said it. This virus may never go away. Well, no crap, Sherlock. You think... All that takes is just a couple of brain cells knocking around. I mean, how many brain cells do I have left? I got like four, and they're like, I don't know, I'm bumping into you. Oh, you know what? I bet this virus will be with us forever, like the flu. We get a strain of the 1918 Spanish flu every single year. I told you back in January, this virus isn't going to go away. This is going to be added on top of the deaths of the flu. You're going to get this. Everyone eventually is going to get this. Good God, you'd think that this was Ebola. I would understand this kind of a crackdown if it was Ebola. This is not Ebola.
What is the purpose of government? Why is it a thing? Why do we even have it in the first place? I ask this question sincerely, not rhetorically. This is a question to which we should all have a quick and confident answer, since it guides all of our other political opinions. It's the question at the foundation of the society we build. Almost every other political issue will be decided according to how we answer this question. And when you break down the divides in society, the divide between the parties, the divide between the coasts and middle America, the divide in culture itself, this question is effectively the single question at the splitting point. I've often characterized this split as Bill of Rights or nah, as in people who believe the Bill of Rights is generally a good idea versus people who don't. But even that question rests upon the more fundamental one. What is government's purpose? If you don't believe the Bill of Rights is aligned with government's purpose, well, that's how you get to nah. Hence the reason this question is actually the first one ever answered in the political history of this country. We heard the words in history class, surely, but how often do we think about them critically? July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence. Men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now think about that poetic language in plain terms. What is it saying? It is saying that you have inherent rights and government is established to secure those rights, to ensure that you are free to pursue prosperity for yourself. And just as important is what it doesn't say. It does not say that government is established to provide that prosperity for you. Is it government's job to secure your freedom so you can go get your own good? Or is it government's job to provide that good for you, maybe even impose that good upon you? It's a question that was plainly answered at this country's founding, but a question it seems we have less and less agreement upon. And it's a question with heavy moral implications. It's not just about tax policy this or spend policy that. Think about this philosophy as it applies to individuals, say just interaction between you and me personally. What is my job in that interaction or what should be my priority? Is it respect for your rights or is it providing you with good? Now, maybe there's an argument for both, but one does have to take priority. And if my job is providing you with good first, and respecting your rights second, there are a lot of terrible things I can do to you with justification according to that philosophy. Because after all, I can save your life by putting you in a straitjacket and locking you in a padded cell. And if that sounds wrong to you, well, that's only because respect for your rights is actually first on the moral hierarchy. Thus, the reason our government is founded and organized the way it is. Anyway, without getting too bone-dry philosophical here, the reason I bring it up is because the longer these coronavirus lockdowns continue, the more obviously clear it becomes that this is what we're actually debating. This is the question at the heart of the fight. This isn't about infection rates or death rates or testing thresholds or any of that. Fundamentally, these fights are about this question. What is the purpose of government? The purpose of government is to protect our freedom of choice, not to restrict it. That marketing statement appeared on every piece of official literature that was put in print by the Freedom Party of Ontario since its foundation. And yes, Freedom Party is completely opposed to this state-enforced lockdown. 
Oh, and by the way, did I happen to mention that Dolores Cahill, whose views on the coronavirus we heard earlier, also happens to be chair of Ireland's Freedom Party? <laughs> Go figure. Perhaps that accounts for her being among the few in the medical profession I've ever heard consider freedom to be a value. And of course, it's not just as simple as that. For example, Ontario's Freedom Party is founded on the principle that every individual in the peaceful pursuit of personal fulfillment has an absolute right to his or her own life, liberty, and property. Freedom Party advocates capitalism solely because it's the only system compatible with reality, reason, and the pursuit of one's own happiness. And you know, it's not just about the purpose of government, but it's also about the nature of government. And government has been called an institution of force, but that's a bit of a misnomer. As Isabel Patterson reminded us, force is what is governed. Governing is a moral undertaking, and it must answer the question, when is force justified and when is force not justified? And to answer that, clear, unambiguous guiding principles are required. Stick to principles, says the heading of a letter to the editor published in the London Free Press on May 5th. And I quote, It is so nice to see democracy in action. Queen's Park has been inundated recently with protesters wishing to reopen our economy while promoting that this pandemic is a hoax and that vaccines are some kind of government plot. None of the protesters were wearing personal protective equipment and were standing shoulder to shoulder. Other participants were wrapped in the American flag. I'm hoping that after this protest, all will be self-isolating for another two weeks, and in the event of becoming infected, that they stand by their convictions, decline medical assistance, and go directly to the morgue. That would be democracy in action, signed Christine M. in London. Wow. <laughs> Bitter? What Christine actually witnessed was not democracy in action, but freedom in action. And of course, she completely misrepresented what the protesters were saying, as we've already heard for ourselves on past broadcasts of this show. And among those protesters, you might recall, was Freedom Party's Ted Harlson. In fact, many of the protesters were calling for the government to approve safe and tested treatments for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. But you know what's disturbing about Christine's letter? It's her attitude and lack of knowledge about the bigger picture. She is being selfish, in the negative sense of that term. Sort of like Oscar Wilde said, you know, selfishness is not living your life as you wish, it's asking others to live their lives as you wish. Isn't that exactly what Christine's doing? And this kind of selfishness is always cloaked in the virtue signaling of altruism. You see, Christine cares so much about others that those who disagree with her should go directly to the morgue. You know, Christine's one of those people who needs to consider what the purpose of government is. And if she thinks that government should have the power to effectively imprison innocent, healthy people, and I think that government is there to protect our freedom, well then, you know, Christine and I have an insurmountable conflict there, don't we? And there's the problem between left and right. It's a fundamental and permanent polarity, and there's no reconciling or compromising when it comes to things like life versus death, right versus wrong, freedom versus tyranny, etc. Sorry. And right now, many of the world's politicians are pretending to end the shutdown, including Ontario Premier Doug Ford. And I say pretending because as long as they continue to micromanage their so-called economic recovery, and as long as they continue to argue that COVID-19 statistics might again cause a clampdown, well, there's no end to this shutdown, even when everything will look like it's open. This is a permanent situation they're all vying for here. Think about that.
This from CTV News on May 18th, written by Catherine de Klerk. Ontario reaches first stage of restarting economy. They have three stages, you know. Here's a list of businesses allowed to reopen. Well, all construction and essential workplace limits lifted includes land surveyors. In addition to retail opening online or with curbside pickup and delivery, all retail stores with a street entrance can open with limited capacity. Vehicle dealerships and retailers, office-based media operations involving equipment that does not allow for remote working, non-emergency diagnostic imaging and surgeries in public hospitals, private hospitals, and independent health facilities, clinics, and private practices to resume based on ability to meet specified preconditions. And that's a whole other sheet of regulations. Certain health and medical services, such as in-person counseling and scheduled surgeries, based on the ability to meet pre-specified conditions. Libraries for pickup or delivery, outdoor recreational amenities such as marinas, outdoor recreational sports centers for sports not played in teams with limited access to facilities. This includes tennis courts, rod and gun clubs, cycling tracks, horse riding facilities. I, I can't read any more of this, folks. This is mental. On and on it goes. I think it's time for Greta Thunberg. How dare you? And this is just the tip of the regulatory iceberg that no government should ever be able to even enact, let alone enforce. And we've come full circle. And as long as politicians even believe for a moment that they have the right to make these personal decisions for us, our situation remains critical. And I say we've come full circle because all the new startup regulations being imposed are just as confusing and contradictory and illogical and illegitimate as were the original regulations. And to give you a somewhat sarcastic and perhaps humorous example of what I mean, this item was posted to Facebook by Peter J. way back on April 16th, and he called it the official coronavirus guidelines. Here's number one. Basically, you can't leave the house for any reason, but if you have to, then you can. Number two, masks are useless, but maybe you have to wear one. It can save you. It's useless, but maybe it's mandatory as well. Number three, stores are closed, except for those that are open. Number four, you should not go to hospitals unless you have to go there. Same applies to doctors. You should only go there in case of emergency, provided you're not too sick. <laughs> Number five, this virus is deadly, but still not too scary, except that sometimes it actually leads to a global disaster. Number six, gloves won't help, but they can still help. Number seven, everyone needs to stay home, but it's important to go out. Number eight, there's no shortage of groceries in the supermarket, but there are many things missing when you go there in the evening, but not in the morning sometimes. Number nine, the virus has no effect on children except those it affects. <laughs> and this goes on and on. And it sounds exactly like the new regulations that Ford just announced again for the reopening. And on a happier note, it's nice to hear that the state of Wisconsin's Supreme Court overturned its latest stay-at-home order. Every state, province, and territory should do the same. But who knows what circumstances will be like a week from now. So be sure to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Let me tell you a true story about immunization, okay? When I was a little boy in New York City in the 1940s, we swam in the Hudson River, and it was filled with raw sewage, okay? We swam in raw sewage, you know, to cool off. 
And at that time, the big fear was polio. Thousands of kids died from polio every year. But you know something? In my neighborhood, no one ever got polio. No one ever. You know why? Because we swam in raw sewage. (laughs) 